in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour. This show is for everybody who has an interest in HSD in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining today is no co-host because Patrick got caught up doing something else. He's busy, but we do have a really awesome guest today. We have a Bill. Bill, is it Pretense? Prentice. Prentice. Bill Prentice, he's the CEO and chairman of Davis Refinery. How are you doing today, Bill? Very good. Thank you. So one of your people reached out to me, cold call me basically, and he did such a transparent, good job that I accepted a cold call. And he started telling me the story about your refinery. And I was like, oh my God, this story needs to be told. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, we haven't built a new refinery in the US since the 70s? No, the first uh, full conversion refinery, not a topping unit in 40 years. 40 years. And then not only are y'all building a new refinery, y'all are doing so much that's so radically different and it's awesome stuff. So I don't know if you want to kind of start, actually, before we start there, let's start with you. How did you get caught up in this crazy industry? Well, right out of college, I was involved in heavy construction projects and went to work for a company called Fluor Corporation who built power plants and refineries all over the world. So that's what I did for several years before deciding that I wanted to be out on my own. So I started my first energy company back in the 80s. And a little stint at a small investment banking firm led me to Meridian, where I started out consulting and then took over as CEO about four years ago. So Floor, huh? that EPC world has changed so much from, you know, say the 80s, early 90s to now. But, you know, those are the companies that build the biggest projects on the planet. Right, the biggest, most capex intensive stuff is companies like Floor. So you got exposed to big business early on. Yeah, and, and Floor did a really good job in the you know early part of the mega project era on figuring out how to organize and properly manage big projects. And let's face it, over the years, these facilities have gotten bigger and more expensive and more complicated. So that management capability is is really core to what we do here at Meridian too. Yeah, I bet it is. So so let's circle back around. So you're now at Meridian and y'all are actually building this refinery up in North Dakota, correct? Yeah. When I first came on, the site had already been selected up in southwestern North Dakota, just to the south of the main center of the Bakken play. And logistics are perfect, great location for a plant. We started permitting about three and a half years ago. Just finished up all of our permits in June of 2018 and started working the field uh, right after that. Yeah. And I knew of Meridian because y'all got a couple of hiccups out there with some of the anti-oil and gas groups, but y'all end up sailing, maybe sailing's the wrong word. You end up getting through all of that. And you got through that for something that's very unique for refinery. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the clean standard that y'all are setting and that y'all are mean that nobody's done in the U.S. yet? Well, let's face it. When you start with a blank sheet of paper, we have an unfair advantage over the guys that are struggling to efficiently and cleanly operate plants that are 50, 60, 70 years old. So, you know, please don't interpret this as criticism of the way these guys are doing their job. They're doing a great job. 
But again, you know, there's a lot of technology that's come out in the last 40 years that has not been used yet. There's not a single place in the world where all of this new stuff has been integrated into a single new full conversion refinery. And as a result of that, we can put up a refinery in the 50, 60,000 barrel per day range that meets the requirements for a synthetic miner source under EPA regs, which allows us to get through permitting and into the market much, much quicker. You know, along with that, I mean, we're the cleanest refinery on the planet, first full conversion plant in 40 years, first digital refinery. And as far as I can tell, we're the first full conversion refinery ever built by a startup company. Yeah. And so what I think is cool about this, so you're in the Bakken, you know, there's a lot of gas production up there, even though the prices aren't where everybody wants it. And I shouldn't say a lot, but some of that gas is gotten rid of, right? It's flared, it's vented. But by y'all building this refinery that is burned so, uh, that operates so cleanly, you're able to take some of that gas and actually use it for your own operations, right? Yeah, there's there's a big move up there to gather gas and not flare. I don't know if you remember four or five years ago, the the way the press would play up the aerial photos of North Dakota, it looked like the eastern seaboard at night from space with all the flaring going on. And so, yeah, there's a lot of very inexpensive gas up there that we can use for fuel instead of our own products. Yeah, I've actually seen it before, and it's the same way in West Texas. You get out in a plane at night over West Texas, and it looks like Las Vegas down there. But I want want to go back to this gas thing. That sounds like it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal to be able to take this gas as normally would be flared or vented somewhere and use it to actually run the refinery. The thing I think is so cool about this is, and I may be wrong, Bill, but Aren't y'all's emissions levels so low that you don't need an EPA permit? Well, what happened is, I mean, everybody operates up EPA specs. EPA has signed uh, state implementation plans with every one of the 50 states under which they implement the EPA programs, the Clean Air Act programs for that state. And we came in under the requirements for stepping up the permit procedure into a direct EPA permit application. We're in under the state requirements as a synthetic minor source. And, you know, you look at the charts on what that means. We're producing emissions on a per barrel process basis that would be uh, one-eighth, one-sixth at the most of the industry averages. And, in fact, there's a nearby uh, national park, the Teddy Roosevelt National Park, Our emissions at the refinery are lower than the emissions from the park at the refinery. Okay, you got to repeat that because I don't. People are say the exact thing because that's that's awesome. No, it's it's just really amusing because you know, let's face it, people drive by your grandpa's refinery and they see what they see and they get scared when they hear about a new one going in. But this is not that kind of a plant anymore, and the industry has to get out of the the practice of allowing themselves to be kicked down the road to some industrial ghetto where they can presumably pollute to the extent they want to. We have to build these plants where they're needed and have them be clean enough to be there. Yeah, and we can do it. The the technology and the process is there, and it's been there. Y'all are an actual proof of that. And you're actually – I thought about that. The fact that y'all are starting with the greenfield does give y'all a lot of advantages. So when your plant goes live, I'm guessing it's probably going to be a huge built-in buckets of different technologies that have been proven but probably never all been put together, which I would guess probably is going to lower the amount of manpower you need to run the refinery and probably also ensure quality as well. Yeah, quality control is a little bit easier with all this technology. The plant is a lot smaller, you know, a tighter footprint that results in lower fugitive emissions and so forth and volatiles. 
it's just altogether a different way of looking at a refinery. We expect it to be kind of a showcase until we get number two going anyway. And where's number two going? We're right now looking at sites in all of the major shale basins. And I don't think it'll be any secret as to where we're going to end up next. Yeah, I think I, I'm not going to say it, but I think I know where you're going to end up next too. But this is awesome. And then actually bringing the refinery to the hydrocarbons is not how it's typically done. Typically for the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, most of the refining capacity in the U.S. has been in the Gulf Coast. And we've transported the hydrocarbons and, and you know, everybody's heard about the pipeline issues to the refineries. The way y'all are doing it, actually, you're bringing the processing to the raw feedstock. Yeah, the shale boom has changed the industry and turned it upside down. Previous practice uh, locate giant refineries with huge complexities on the coast where they could snag whatever crude is going by in a tanker. Our refinery is a rifle shot designed to only process a single type of crude oil, much more efficient. The capital efficiency is much higher. And, you know, if you're going to haul something long distance, why not haul the higher value product rather than the crude? Yep. And what I love about this is you're now going to diversify the economy of North Dakota, who traditionally has been a producer of hydrocarbons, right, crude and gas. Now they're going to be a producer of products. And you've eliminated the midstream part of it, right? You've just gotten rid of the need to transport. And folks, I know he's got to transport crude and gas and pipelines somewhere, but I'm talking about the actual business practice of it. So this is actually good for the people that live in North Dakota as well. Yeah, we've, you know, despite the fact that, as you alluded to earlier, we have had some opposition from various people up in North Dakota to the project. By and large, uh, the community is very supporting and eager to not only uh, see us start paying taxes, but hiring people. Over in Washington, the refineries in Anacortes have been studied every year by the state of Washington, and they've determined that the job multiplier is 1 to 12. So every 10 people you hire into a refinery creates 120 people employment for 120 people locally. We're probably going to have, you know, around 100 people at this plant. And the impact on the local economy is going to be tremendous. Yeah, it's always interesting because people never think about the trickle-down effect. They don't ever think about the hotels that are needed, the restaurants that are needed, the trucks that are needed, the local hardware stores that are needed, the grocery stores that are needed. But all that follows when you build a steady base of, of good-paying jobs, which is just good for everybody. So, when all of this got started, you brought into the door, y'all get the project kicked off, you get through the permitting process, and, and are y'all now in construction phase? Yeah, we got the air quality permit in June of 2018 and started grading and site preparation and drainage in July. We had to button up the site several weeks ago for the winter, but as soon as the ground thaws out again, we'll be back out in the field doing foundations. Right now, we're doing engineering and procurement and, and getting ready to really do the kickoff starting May-June. So May-June is when you start with construction? Yeah. We're, well, you know, technically, we're in the ground. There's a big berm around the site. All the drainage is in, and we're down to grade. So we're ready for foundations uh, starting in, in May and June. And we'll be, you know, starting fabrication and, and all of that sort of thing and ordering materials here in the second quarter of this year. And when do y'all think most of the construction will be finished? Y'all have a go live date? You know, it's so weather dependent in North Dakota. We figure it's about two years. So let's say, uh, you know, 2021, early 2021 is probably when we're going to be in production. So I have to ask you, surely by now you've had other companies that have an interest in what you're doing with the new technology, the clean standards that you're meeting, the fact that you're building a rifle shot of a refinery, because I didn't even think about that. Every refinery and petrochemical plant I know has, you know, 
eight, 12, 13 different blends coming in, depending on which units taking that stuff. And y'all just got rid of all of that. Y'all said, we're going to take one type of crude and we're going to build our processing around that. Do you have other companies reaching out to you wanting tours or to pick your brain, understand how y'all are doing this? Well, there are a lot of people in industry that would just like to see us go away. <laughs> and so they're trying to pick our brain to see if we're vulnerable. But, you know, by and large, I think everybody's got a wait and see attitude. Uh, that's fine with me. It gives us a first mover advantage in these other shale basins. And we're not really eager to share the way we're doing things. Uh, we're eager to share how smart we are in doing it this way, maybe. So there's some proprietary, at least IP or, or thought process behind that. I get that. That's that's actually really cool. It is interesting to me that you said that there's other companies that would like y'all to go away. Do you think you have that big a competitive advantage over the way they're doing it now? Well, I think that the industry has gotten very comfortable with its relationship with regulatory agencies and so forth. And for somebody like us to come along and upset the apple cart, just, you know, take the one area where we have had so much innovation take effect, air quality. When we get our operating permit after we begin operations, that will immediately reset the bar for best available control technology in the industry. And that will make life harder for everybody else trying to you know, put a Band-Aid on an existing refinery, for instance. Yeah, we have several other shows. And on several other shows, we talk about this cultural barrier to adoption of technology in oil and gas. Like the technology has been out there, everything from predictive maintenance to big data analytics to, you know, very advanced process controls. And as an industry, we don't take advantage of it. And I know why, right? This is a risk adverse industry. In our industry, when you make a mistake, people can die. I mean, look at this show that we're on right now, the Health, Safety, and Environment podcast. It's the one of the biggest drivers in the oil and gas industry by far. And because people have that fear of somebody getting hurt or environmental catastrophe. They don't want to take a risk on changing anything, even if that change means that you have better technology to do stuff. But y'all didn't have to worry about any of that, any of that old thought culture, any of those legacy systems, any of the culture of we've never done that before. You got to start from scratch with a clean sheet of paper and do it the best way y'all could figure out to do it in, in today's time. Well, that was a condition under which I took on this job. I didn't like the fact that the industry was not able to adopt these innovations because of that relationship. And I don't want to get branded as a crackpot, but it's really not the industry's fault. I mean, look what happened to Chevron in Pittsburgh, California. They proposed a billion dollars worth of upgrades to that refinery primarily to clean it up. And it ended up in 12 years of litigation. Every time an existing big oil company tries to do something good and innovative and positive, they get punished relentlessly for doing that. And I think that's wrong. And I think the industry, that well, society has to change the way it treats the energy industry. Yeah. And you and I were talking about that before we turned the mics on. I think a lot of that is our industry's fault ourselves. For the last 75 years, when anybody says something wrong, either intentionally or unintentionally about our industry, we don't correct them. And I'm not talking about opinions and politics. I'm talking about facts. And it's, you know, it's to the point now where with the advent of social media, somebody that doesn't like our industry based upon falsehoods can now talk about it. But instead of talking to one person, they could talk to a million people. And as an industry, I think we're just now starting to figure out things like 
grassroots movement, social media to get the truth out there. But we are so far behind the eight ball. The organizations out there that don't like our industry have been doing a really good job. You look at all the pipelines they shut down around the world. That's, I mean, it's wrong. It's bad business. It's bad for the environment. But from an anti-oil and gas, that was a pretty smart move on their part. If you can't move the hydrocarbons around, you can't move the finished products, there's no money to be made. So I think as an industry, we need to own the fact that we've let it get here. And I agree with you. We need to start changing the way people think about an industry based upon the reality of what we do. Yeah, we have to be very confrontational in a positive manner whenever we have the opportunity and uh, and no longer shy away from these arguments because it's just too easy with, as you mentioned, social media out there for people to improperly educate some ignorant people as to what what they ought to be thinking about the energy business. And yet they go out and get in their car and don't even think about the contribution that this industry makes to their everyday life. Yeah. When the Shell was doing the Arctic exploration drilling coming out of oh, Portland, the port in Portland, I believe, they had all the protesters to their rig that was going out and they were all in kayaks. And I'm thinking the kayaks is made of polypropylene. <laughs> That's made from natural gas. You're protesting what allows you to float, do your protest. Yeah, I don't think they were using the old whale skin ones. You're right. <laughs> yeah, and talk about a different impact to the environment if they were. <laughs> all right, I want to circle back here for our audience. You know, this is a monumental breakthrough. This is an extremely clean, very targeted refinery built where the hydrocarbons are pulled out of the ground, not in the Gulf Coast. And, you know, Bill's out there running this thing. Bill, when people are looking at this and if they wanted to help in some way, they wanted to support you. I do realize that probably a lot of the people in North Dakota appreciate you and support you. But if any of our audience, you know, wanted to learn more or support you in some way, are are y'all still raising funds? Are you still looking for financing? Yeah, we're set for a major project financing institutionally placed coming up in May, June. Uh, CIBC and Morgan Stanley are managing that for us. Between now and then, we're funding our operation through a private placement that's been uh, ongoing for the last couple of months. And, you know, people are interested. Uh, it's probably the last opportunity to own stock in our parent company before we shift into the project financing mode. So, you know, our, our website gives a link to, to how to do that. And we'd be glad to talk to anybody. It's a private placement to accredited investors only. So, you know, not uncommon in the oil and gas business. Yeah, folks, we'll put a link in the show notes. So you have to write stuff down. You can just click on it and go check it out. So, Bill, it's at the part of the show now where it's time for a Red Wing safety tip of the week. Do you have a safety tip for our audience? Absolutely. When you're out in the field in particular, make sure you got the right footwear on. Make sure your clothing is not hanging all over the place where it could get snagged on something and it's the right material. Make sure your hard hat is not improperly uh, fastened and is within its date. And your eye gear is, is in good shape. Also, if you're heading for the field and you get on a plane, you might want to consider a face mask these days. Yeah, that PPE is so important, and you're right. Just because you have it, if you're not wearing it properly, it's not going to protect you. No, you're right. All right, so before we go any further, I want to stop real quick. Please, 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 folks, if you like the show, leave us a review. It takes all of two minutes to leave us a review. It's the number one way to support the show. And then if you like the show, join our LinkedIn group. Just go to LinkedIn, type in OGGN. Uh, It's growing like crazy. If you want to be notified of what we're doing next, just go to the website, oilandgashse.com. Give us your email address. We promise never to spam you. we got some events coming up. We have the Women in Energy Conference. It's uh, Friday, January 18th. There'll be a link in the show notes. 
We have the OGG and Super Happy Hour Tuesday, January 29th. This is always the last Tuesday in Houston. It always sells out. The money goes for a good cause. We use it to fight human sex trafficking. It's only 10 bucks. so there's a link in the show notes there. It's a great time. We're starting to live stream that. We actually have a host for the live stream show. I'm actually looking for a sponsor. If anybody wants to be the sponsor for the Oil & Gas Happy Hour live stream show, let me know. And then we have the SPE Intercorporate Top Golf Tournament on February 21st. The link will be in the show notes as well. If you want to learn about these events and more, I have a free oil and gas events newsletter. We take all the oil and gas events, put them in one place, stick them in your inbox once a month. Absolutely free. I will put a link in the show notes for that as well. So, Bill, this has been a fascinating story. I want to come back later once y'all go live, and, and I want to do a deeper dive into the actual process. So we'll give you a year or so. We'll, we'll circle back around and get you back on the show again. But if people wanted to find more about what you're doing with the Davis Refinery, I'm guessing they go to your website, mediaenergygroupinc.com? That's right. And it's loaded with information. And just contact us. We're glad to talk to anybody who wants to learn more. And they're a good group of people. The whole reason Bill is on this show is because one of his guys reached out to me. Great guy. And Bill, if people want to learn more about you personally, I'm guessing LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, so we'll stick links to both of those in the show notes. So, you know, people, if you listen to this on your mobile app, just scroll either up or left and you just click on those links right then and there. Bill, this has been awesome. I appreciate your time on the show. We wish you the best of luck. We're going to follow you closely because this is history in the making here in the U.S. And I got a feeling, no matter what the other refineries out there are going to do, I got a feeling that you're getting ready to set the pace for a lot of stuff in the future. So best of luck to you. Thanks again so much for coming on the show. Thanks very much. It's been fun. All right, folks, so I don't have Patrick to close this thing, so we're going to get out of here. Remember, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston, to London, to Dubai, and beyond. Now, Bill, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen in the field? Well, earlier in my career, I was uh, in charge of heavy rigging for a major engineering construction firm. And on a project in Alaska we had serious problems with bears and probably the most expensive heavy lift I'd ever done in my career. We had 40 people working uh, three different cranes and other equipment and a black bear and three cubs decided it was time to go raid the lunch boxes in the pipe fitter shack. So we all had to dog off the cranes and climb up into structures for two hours until they finished. <laughs> You know, only in our industry is stuff like that taken as normal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one.